time to barrel down as we uncork the Indiana beverage industry one bottle at a time. Hey, listeners, I'm so excited to be joined by Isaac Arthur. Isaac, how are you today? Doing great. I'm excited to be here, Katie. Thanks for having me. So Isaac, go ahead and explain uh, or tell our listeners who you are um, in the amazing company that you represent. Sure. Uh, My name is Isaac Arthur. I'm a co-founder of Kodo Design. So I'll just give you the whole thing. We are a 12 and a half, that half of a year matters. We're a 12 and a half year old food and beverage branding firm based here in Indianapolis, Indiana. Uh, Cody, who's not here today because you you didn't want to slum it with him. You wanted to talk to me. Uh, he's my business partner. He and I co-founded right after graduating from college based on the belief that we can create better work by directly including our clients in the creative process. I'll spare you all the propaganda. I'll just kind of fast forward here. So we, uh, we graduated in 2009, founded the following Monday, landed our first brewery client in 2010, and we've since grown to be a seven-person shop. Yeah, seven. I should know that Ooh. off the top of my head. Seven-person shop. Uh, we help breweries are across the United States and around the world brand and these days, mostly rebrand. So the bulk of our work, stop me at any time here. I can go on all day. Oh, I love it. Um, the bulk of our work over the last several years has been helping uh, larger breweries, national, regional breweries like that rebrand. So defining positioning, brand strategy, identity, packaging, all that stuff that helps people sell more beer and grow their business. And then beyond beer, I know you want to talk about beer today, but we are a food and beverage branding firm. So we've done a little bit of work in wine. Interestingly, a very small amount of it. Maybe we can dive into that later. (laughs) A lot of work with bars and restaurants, hospitality groups, distilleries. We've done more cannabis work from 1800s here in Indiana than we have (laughs) with wineries. Uh, Beverage, alcohol, CPG, food and beverage in general. If you can eat it or drink it, uh, we brand it. So, yeah. And something that I have always clicked with you, I mean, being a millennial myself and, you know, I think you're on the older um, scope, if you will, of that millennial circle. But mm-hmm. I think it's really interesting because, you know, mo- there's a lot of studies being done with millennials and how we interpret um, different branding, different packaging, new ways of messaging. And I think Kodo has always really just pushed that envelope to do something just a little bit different or to catch that somebody's eye just a little bit quicker. I mean, how, so we're talking about messaging. How do you guys stay fresh or how do you keep your creative juices flowing when you're working with individual companies who are, you know, in the bigger scope of it, you know, pretty big competitors at a national level? Sure. Uh, I I think it starts with collaboration. I want to start off with a buzzword, but every project is unique. Every client's unique. Even if you're dealing with two people that are, you know, for all intents and purposes, both making about the same amount of beer, let's say a hundred thousand barrels a year. I mean, they're, they have different founding stories. They have different audiences. They play different roles in people's lives. So a lot of it starts with collaborating with our clients to understand what makes that brewery unique, what's special about them, their local context their project goals. And I think as far as just the the creative itself, like the guitar solo graphic design work that everyone celebrates, which is like the tip of the iceberg, we should probably talk about all the strategy and stuff underneath <laughs> that, but the cool stuff that everyone celebrates, uh, I think that's just Cody and I being willing to lose money for over a decade now, because we've just right after graduating school, back when there were no stakes, there's no, no, 
no families, no mortgages, no, nothing like that. Uh, we just, we would make the best work we could possibly do always. Uh, and, and, and that's extended to current day. Uh, that, that sounds overly earnest and G shucks, but it, I, I promise you, we will lose more money than any agency out there in the world uh, for, for the best design that we can create. So. I love it because without, um, without willing to take a risk, right there would be no reward. And I think you guys are always willing to take a risk and jump in a big ocean, right. And swim until you find something that latches on with consumers and with your clients. For sure. And I really think that shows in, in your products or your designs. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate it. So for our listeners, um, Indiana is actually ranked 16th um, in the nation for the number of craft breweries. So Isaac, please um, enlighten me because I am very much a wine drinker. Um, what what makes Indiana beer or craft beer special? I mean, what what really separates us from our other competitive states? Hmm. That's a good question. I mean, besides <laughs> great packaging. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, the I could say that people are lovely, which they are. I could say the beer is great, which as far as, I mean, there are four or five breweries off the top of my head that make world-class beer. I mean, just within, within stone's throw from us. Uh, it's very hard to differentiate a state as far as Indiana goes. I mean, uh, that's probably not the answer you were looking for, but I mean, we think of markets like uh, Portland, San Diego, Michigan, Vermont. There are these places, Denver, there are these places that pop up as kind of beer meccas. Just in, And that's more like historical provenance than anything. People that have historically had the most breweries or the best breweries. Uh, I think what Indiana does really well is make really, really great like hospitality considerations. And I know that's Indiana, we're all lovely and happy people here, but, but I, I really have seen more of an emphasis on taproom experience, customer experience, uh, people viewing their own premise, not so their taproom, not just as a way to get a bunch of money through like the increased margins, but like, how can we really treat our people wonderfully and make sure they come back here and feel loved and, and all that. So I think we do a phenomenal job of that here. Um, yeah. I love that you said experience because I, I love experiences, whether it's, um, in the food and beverage industry or, you know, if we're picking Christmas trees or in the spring when we're doing Easter egg hunts and the experience right now is so hot. I mean, giving your customers something that they can go home and tell a story about and buy your product. And then now you have a product and a story. So, I mean, when creating a new, um, say a logo or when you're refreshing a whole brand, how do you carry those experiences into that messaging and the packaging? Because that's not easy. No, it's not. And I I think now we're getting into the the bigger part of the iceberg that I was, (laughs) that clunky metaphor I brought up earlier. I, I think it all starts with brand strategy and way up front. Again, our industry and, and people like to celebrate the the crazy cool graphic design and that that should be celebrated but if you make really cool graphic design and it doesn't have any any mooring it, it's not based in positioning or core values or essence or a story then it, it means nothing and it's not ultimately going to help you sell more stuff so when when we are when we're trying to figure out what that connection between that story is and what it ultimately looks and feels like and there's that third party there which is the customer you know what role does this play in their life uh, we really do focus on those kind of core tenets. So what is it, what is your positioning? So what are you offering? How's it different? Not necessarily better, but different from your competition. And, um, and, and why, why do you make it, you know, for, for who do you make it, uh, whom, and then what are your core values? So like, 
what, what, what are you going to do when no one's looking, you know, use that kind of grandpa wisdom, the things that guide everyday business decisions, and then your essence. So that is without getting too in the weeds here, that's pulling together all of these ideas into one really quick, quippy internal statement that we can kind of use either as an internal process tool to guide downstream creative, or even if it's compelling enough as a battle flag, you know, as a, as a reason for like really going out there and, and, and burning it all down and, and creating a great business. So, yeah. So it's not just sitting in a room with somebody who owns a company and his good friend, who's a consumer and coming up with this idea. I mean, I think a lot of people business owners included, just don't realize all of the backend work that those in I'll say marketing or advertising or PR, however you want to group all of us together, have to go through to create a brand that withstands time and changes um, over time. And obviously we upkeep the brand, but there's a lot that goes into it. There is. And our industry has done a poor job of kind of gatekeeping what we do. Like this isn't I always like to say this isn't rocket science, but it's not necessarily easy either. Uh, we, we don't like, like for instance, here at Kodo, we don't like the big Don Draper reveal. That's something that's kind of happened in our industry. We've kind of self-propagated that myth of, you know, we're going to go back here and create the world changing thing and bring it to you, the client. I mean, I, I think we, we need to be humble enough to know that we don't really know what makes the brewery special when we just met these people and just signed a contract, you know, we need to sit down and drink with them and talk with them and talk to their fans, talk to, talk to even the quote unquote, boring parts of the, the thing, like talk to distributors and talk to people that are delivering beer and stuff. I mean, everyone has important perspective on, on this entire uh, universe. So we need to kind of talk to as many different stakeholders as we can to try to figure out what is unique and ownable here that we can use to tell a story. I really love that you just said that you have to drink with them because the listeners know I'm a big fan of what I call sippy poos. Um, So, (laughs) you know, just that afternoon drink or, you know, you're meeting with friends to come up with birthday party ideas or whatever that is. But so much happens over a glass of wine, a cup of coffee, a glass of beer, um, some mold cider. I mean, anything so much happens when you just you just get on a tangent, you go on a soapbox and then boom, you know, I have a full page of notes. And I love to hear you say that because I really do think it makes a difference, especially coming out of a you know couple of years of COVID when we haven't been able to, to see each other and to touch each other um, and to get those, you know, interpersonal relationships back grooving um, like we did a few years ago. So it does make a lot of difference. It, it does. And, and- even just the framing of, okay, we're drinking beer. We're going to ask some questions, but we're not, this isn't an interview. We're not, I mean, I guess it's a corporate exercise technically because like we are, we are executing upon against a contract, you know, to do whatever things, but, but yeah, I mean, we're going to ask you a bunch of questions. It's going to be a lot of qualitative questions, a lot of fuzzy, like not businessy questions. We'll get to the businessy questions later, but uh, yeah, and have a beer or not, you know, we don't, we don't, not everything has to be beer. Uh, you do that too much and you end up looking like me. So we want to, <laughs> we want to not do too much of that, but yeah, just trying to, trying to explore as, as deeply as we can, the ideas that come up in these meetings uh, with whomever we're able to talk to. Yeah. I love that. So in Indiana, um, like I said earlier, 170 plus craft breweries and the mm-hmm. oldest one being the Brad Ripple group pub. Is that correct? I think so. Open in 1990. I mean, I think Broad Ripple is a great example. Obviously I'm very close to Broad Ripple. You're in Indianapolis yourself. 
that, you know, there's so much, um, what's the word I want to use adventure in Brad ripple. I mean, all of those breweries give you a different vibe. They give you a different feel. Like I said, I'm not a huge beer drinker. Um, but when I try them, they offer something different. And again, that all wraps into that experience. And so as a brewery owner or marketing professional, we talk a lot about setting goals, right? Mm -hmm. Um, short-term long-term. So how do you guys, um, as Kodo help those professionals, um, set goals and how do you help them, um, uh, like keep track of their goals and, and where they're going? I mean, cause all of that is in this greater big scope of strategic planning, right? It is. Yeah. Um, and finding who you are in the industry. So can you talk a little bit about, about goal setting and attaining? Yeah. Um, I can talk about it through the lens of, of the work that we would do with a, yeah, with a brewery. Cause obviously you have your own like KPIs or business goals or whatever, like anyone does, but, but for our project specifically, we like to frame, and this is, this is early on, even before contract, we'd like to frame kind of what value will this project represent for you? If we're, if we're rebranding a 30 year old brewery that, that, you know, does $75 million a year annual revenue, that's a much different project than is, a guy that's starting, you know, a husband, and wife that are starting like a brew pub in, in their small town, you know, it's like completely different scope, different scale, different value, things like that. That doesn't mean anything's better or worse, just different goals. So, so we, 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 th- we like to frame qualitative and quantitative goals. I'll talk about qualitative first, because we are in the world of branding and storytelling and, and people like to poo poo that stuff, but the qualitative stuff's where the magic happens. I mean, we are talking about like, what role does this play in people's lives? What sort of personality traits does this, uh, does this company have? If it were uh, some horrible, like human, like human business monster, like what sort of, uh, who would it be? Like, you know, that sort of thing, a uh, spirit animal, dumb questions like that. And then quantitative questions are also important. And, and we like those, first of all, just from a, a, a like a, a KPI perspective, it, we're going to check up with you. Hopefully we'll still be working together a year after this project. But I mean, do we have sales goals? You know, we want to increase profit or revenue or barrels brewed or markets launched or depletions or whatever those, those metrics are. We want to know what those are. So as far as setting goals, uh, before I keep wandering here too much, we like to use the, I, I always, I'm going to say this and then forget what it means. We like smart goals, uh, only, only to kind of ground it in something so we can, we can kind of make sure that it's actually a measurable thing. So I think, I think smart stands for specific, measurable, action oriented, Mm, realistic would be the r (laughs) and then t t time limited t i got it i think that's all it i'm over here on google like i took that in some college class and i have to yeah time bound relevant achievable measurable specific i just said all of that close i was close close enough yeah yeah so we we like those and yeah obviously not a Kodo concept this is an old school business thing but we like those because people say we want to you know we want to sell more beer and go okay great so you know if you sell another pint next year, then, you know, we've succeeded. So we want to kind of give it more grounding than that. So we can kind of check in and and see just, this is an investment. If you're paying someone a lot of money for a rebrand, you're not doing it just because you want to like make your stuff look pretty. You're doing it because you want to sell more beer. So selling more beer beer is always great. We love people sell more beer, but there's so much more to that. So, um, thanks for highlighting that. We, yeah, I think in the wine industry too, just in my profession, you know, I help people with marketing just as you do. And so we get, you know, I get a fair amount of emails from people that say, I'm interested in starting a winery 
or I want to start my own wine brand, or I want to have a private label at this restaurant. And so there's a lot more that goes into it than just, you know, putting beer in a can with a cool label and sending it off and, you know, uncorking a bottle of wine. There's so, so much more to that, especially when we look at the national brand footprint. I mean, you know, you take Budweiser, right? A beer super house, you take Gallo or barefoot wine, a wine super house. And I think it'd be really cool to sit down and, you know, have a, a drink with somebody just to pick their brain, just as I'm doing with you, because there's so many layers to that onion that I think the average person just doesn't realize. But we, thank goodness for that, because none of us would have a job. So <laughs> yeah, no, no, that, that, that is very beneficial. It's I'm always amazed people will come to us, especially in the beer space. This is, this is a phenomenon, maybe earlier on uh, in the craft beer boom, like in the early 2010s, people would come to us and, and they'd say, you know, I don't know what's special about what we're doing here. We, we, it's special to us. You know, we want to, we want to start this brewery, but we don't know how to tell that story. And there's always something there. We're not myth-making. We just have to dig deeper to figure out what that means to your customers. Uh, and, and it's, it's, still challenging, but it's one of the most rewarding and fun parts of the entire process. And I'm going to change the subject just a little bit because I mm-hmm. want to make sure our, our listeners um, grab the scope of, of one of my favorite things about Kodo. And that's your beer, um, your, your branding trends, your beer guide. Sorry. I probably just butchered that. <laughs> the, are you talking about the books or the, yes. uh, the annual pieces, the annual kind of uh, trend review pieces. Okay. Well, I always get them both. So let's talk about both of them because I think they're both really important. Um, how, where do you start? So let's talk about the trends first. Um, because trends are hot everywhere. Mm -hmm. How do you do that? When do you start? How do you draw the line between we can't do this this year or maybe ever? Um, how, I mean, I just have all the questions about that. <laughs> I I think to to give people some background, uh, we so we write these big pieces. They, they've increased to these kind of ungodly like twenty thousand word pieces, which we're hoping to rein in uh, next year. But in 2016, we published our first craft beer branding trends piece, and that was that was work that we were doing internally anyway. You know, we were talking about back then. It was very aesthetic and surface level driven. So like, what is you know purple is really big this year, not really valuable, but kind of cool to look at. And, and that has shifted over time to be more about kind of big industry trends and movements. So there's, there's a little bit of visual eye candy in there, but it, it's much more about what are the broader things that are shaping craft beer, like kind of today and in the immediate future. And we talk in that experience is brought from us working with, uh, like we're working with breweries all over the world right now. We're probably working with like actively 10 or 15. I mean, we're working at any given time on like eight to 10 large projects, but we got 20 to 30 clients anytime we're doing other things for. So we're, we're seeing, you know, small startup RTD brands, uh, huge brewery rebrands. We're launching stuff down in New Zealand and Australia and Britain and China. Just all, we have this really diverse, uh, I guess, just set of experience to pull from. So we write about that. We're just kind of weaponizing the things that we see every day and putting it in, hopefully into form. Obviously it's marketing for Kodo, but, but I think the reason that they're so popular is that you can read that as a winery owner, a brewery owner, or whomever, and you can actually go, oh, I hadn't thought of that. That's interesting. I need to look into XYZ for my brewery. So 
it's really fun. It's enjoyable. We've, we've spun that into, uh, I don't, I don't want to get gross and give a commercial, but we've spun that into a, a newsletter, which already has 5,500 subscribers. So it's been pretty popular, awesome. uh, kind of uptick right now. So beerbrandingtrends.com. You said this is going to publish a little later, uh, or air a little later. I don't know the terminology yeah. here, but we, we will have a podcast by the same name out by that time. So beer branding trends podcast. So if, if you're interested in everything we're talking about here, Katie, I just, brand strategy, positioning, messaging, uh, we're, the deep kind of behind the scenes things that go into building a stronger brand. Uh, we, we cover those on a monthly and, and with the podcast, I think it's going to be twice a month basis. I love that. So um, we're both younger, I'll say, mm -hmm. in the industry. Um, I think COVID showed us that we maybe as millennials or well, anybody with that's still in the workforce, has the ability to kind of step up and pave their own way, right? So COVID offered us a lot of flexibility, maybe some time at home to reflect um, what we were doing. So for somebody who is maybe thinking about changing gears in their professional life and thinking that marketing or um, graphic design, something in our realm of, of the world um, is something that they're interested in. What are some suggestions for that person to maybe think about prior to making the jump? Hmm. I like that question. I've never been asked that question in all my podcasts. <laughs> yes. Jump uh, <laughs> <Don't> you. <laughs> I, I think this is generic advice, but I think learning how to write, even if that's not the service that you're, I mean, this, this is, I mean, my children are going to, this is going to be hammered into them. I mean, learning, learning how to communicate effectively spoken or written, I think is one of the most important skills we can have as computers and automation and AI continues to take away kind of the more rote parts of our daily life. I think that that creativity and that alchemy that we're able to do is really valuable as far as like getting into this field right now, kind of, kind of along the, the same lines is, is effectively writing. I think there's a huge opportunity, especially like with DTC, uh, e-commerce stuff that, that kind of arose really heavily through COVID. I think that content marketing is going to become a much more important part of beer specifically, which it has been an important part. I mean, it's really been kind of cheapened just by like Instagram, but now people are understanding, no, like people, people like taking in content in different ways, whether that's through a simple Instagram post or a long form podcast. I mean, hell, it can be like a four hour podcast, it can be a 30 minute podcast. It can be a newsletter. It can be a, it can be a printed thing, even potentially as archaic as that sounds. So, so I think content marketing is a huge opportunity. Um, I don't know if there's anything specifically actionable in there, but I think that that's going to be a major trend moving forward that, that, I think people that are geared for helping people tell those stories, kind of embedding themselves, because I'm always kind of wary of like outsourcing certain parts of your storytelling. I think a lot of that needs to be owned by the the company itself, the brewery, whomever. But I think there's an opportunity for really like, like a Kodo that just does content marketing for breweries, I think could be a, a fantastic business model if you can get it right. Well, I just had somebody ask me this question, which is why I posed it to you and I mean, one of my responses was that, so our world is becoming more diverse and we're mm -hmm. seeing diverse, maybe not cultural backgrounds, but experienced backgrounds. I mean, um, you know, Jay and I love to travel in any moment we get, we're, you know, out of Indiana because we just like that thrill of traveling. And so when we look at the scope of employees, whether at, we'll just say craft beverage um, bar, 
winery, brewery, distillery, as employees get more diverse, you know, remembering that story of your company is very important. And somebody can connect with that employee. I mean, people buy from people who are like-minded. So if you have somebody behind the tasting bar that loves to travel and has two dogs and enjoys running, you're going to be able to connect with a consumer somewhere about that. But I think remembering that, you know, we're in the storytelling business, a large part of what we do is remembering that before you jump ship is important because, you know, extroverts are a lot to take in. I mean, I'm, I'm a very high extrovert and I just talk, 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 but that's fun for me. And so if that's not fun or less enjoyable for others, I think that's really important to remember um, because telling the same story over and over is sometimes very redundant, yeah. but um, you know, you throw other experiences in to connect and I think it comes full circle. I agree. I would, I would, uh, I would side gig it. I'd figure out kind of where you can fit in and then, uh, and then make your leap. Side don't, gig. Don't, don't trade in your corporate cushy gig, uh, just, just immediately. I mean, it's not all butterflies and roses in this industry either though. I mean, when we're making wine, mm -hmm. we're, you know, pressing grapes and it's, it's dirty and it's wet and it's rainy. And, you know, when you're in the back room at a brewery, you know, you're lifting kegs and you're moving boxes and, you know, it's not all, it's a great life. We both love it, but it's not all beautiful every day, but I think that's what makes it fun. I'm sure wineries say the same thing as breweries. You're, you're I mean, 98% of the time you're a janitor. I mean, you're just cleaning. Oh, yeah. Like all you're doing is cleaning. And then there's like the uh, us, us like marketing kids with our like expensive jeans and we're all clean and not sweaty. <laughs> we're like, hi, let's take some photos of you. And like, what are you doing here? I've been here since 4 a.m. <laughs> this yeah. is my third turn. And they're like, today. no photos, please. And we're like, no, <laughs> just a quick one, quick snap. I, I, I'm wearing jorts and galoshes right now. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, Isaac, this has been so fun. But before I let you go, um, can you talk a little bit about beer festivals that are around the state of Indiana um, that maybe our listeners can um, find more information out online. Like every podcast, I'll connect all the links um, when mm -hmm. I publish this, but um, also through the Indiana on Indiana on tap app, say mm -hmm. that five times fast um, is also a really great resource for our beer drinkers. So can you dive into both of those really quick? Sure. Uh, I can speak more to the festivals. I'm not involved with Indiana on tap, but uh, I mean, just as a beer fan, you got Winterfest, which is probably my favorite because you're not drinking in 100 degree heat. So that's always Ooh. good. Uh, Summerfest, which is generally in Broad Ripple. And then Dark Lord Day, if you want to talk about big kind of national polls from Three Floyds way up north, that's always fun. So uh, I'm kind of getting away from beer festivals. I get a little older, but uh, it's still fun to go to every now and then. And yeah, drink a lot of water and check those out online. <laughs> Yeah. I, you know, obviously I have vintage, um, as my, you know, little baby that I hold on to every summer, but there are a lot of work as oh, yeah. older people, um, from the consumption side, but also from the, you know, director side, but I still love festivals because I think they're great for newer, um, wineries, breweries to really get their foot out there for a large consumer base to really explore new wineries, new breweries, um, new trends, new varieties. New beer. Yeah. I think, the, I think the opportunity 
and I could be giving it short change, but I think for a winery, a festival might be a better venue for brand building because you guys have historically had the the direct, I mean, DTC, which we talk about as this new thing in beer, wineries have been doing that forever, which yeah. is, I don't understand the laws and how that's different, but I mean, you can actionably at a beer festival, you're just going there and getting kind of hammered. Like that's what everyone does. What we can talk, we can talk and make it fluffy and not that, but that's what ends up happening with wineries. I feel like you can go, Oh, Buck Creek makes really good wine. I can just, you know, get them to ship me 12, 12 bottles of whatever. And, and that's something that I don't think happens in beer so much, but also I'm a little removed from that because I'm just getting older and I can't go out and do that anymore. But yeah, another conversation perhaps. My favorite thing about beer festivals is the pretzel necklaces. So pretzels oh, yeah. are my favorite food. And I just love looking at people with the pretzel necklaces. And it's like the little candy necklaces that we used to wear as kids. Right. And I'm like, ah, I just love beer festivals for that. <laughs> yeah, I, I I think that we need to be uh, more open to just having beer pretzel or pretzel necklaces year round. I don't think we need to tie them to an occasion. I think you should be able to go shopping at the at the farmer's <laughs> market and just eat five pretzels and that's fine. And you don't need people shaming you for those sorts of decisions. I love that. On my Christmas tree, I have like five <laughs> or six pretzel ornaments that all have like silly puns on them, but I love them. I mean, they're my favorite food. They're sweet. They're salty. They're, they're all the things. We made a hat for big lug canteen a few years ago that said, uh, it was just a picture picture of a pretzel and it said dressed to impress. And that's one of my favorite things I, we've done in 12 years. That's so that dumb. <laughs> no, I mean, my love for puns is very overwhelming. And so yeah. I'll have to use that someday. <laughs> It's all yours. <laughs> well, thanks, Isaac. This has been so much fun um, talking about all things marketing, advertising, brews, and wines. Thank you so much for joining me today um, on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Katie. I appreciate it. All right. I'll talk to you soon. All right. See ya.